And here we go. Welcome to the Morning Brew with Stu. As always, I'm your host, Stuart Brooking. And we have Zach McKinnell back from the Blue Bloods podcast and the Off the Ball Network. He's the college football guy. I told him when I was talking to him about coming on the show, I called him my version of Joel Klatt. So he's my Joel Klatt. He's he's coming on, you know, to to debate college football with me, to discuss college football with me. And, and Zach, I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Uh, talk about some things you're working on, some things you're doing, and and uh, just let everyone know what's up. Yeah, man, uh, you know, busy on you. Listen, I thought I was going to have such an easy week. I was sitting there Sunday night. I did my recap for week 13, and I was like, listen, I can knock these conference championship games out easily, and then pure chaos happened. And so we had, like, 10 episodes of coaching changes and, <laughs> and people asking question after question about what's going to happen. I mean, who would have ever thought Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley would have left where they were within 24 hours of each other and just pure chaos unleashed. But man, doing conference championship previews, starting up player interviews next week, man, we got uh, D Anderson, former LSU wide receiver now plays at Alabama A&M in the SWAC coming on. We got a uh, uh, Jaleel coming on from uh, Youngstown state, man. We got a bunch of players lined up. We're going to, We've been promoting players for NIL, especially some FCS players, man. They don't get the shine they deserve. So, uh, you know, I'll, and if you're looking for a college football show, man, listen, only pop, on, only show on YouTube I know that covers every level of college football as in-depth as we do, man. Exactly. You guys do some great stuff over there at the Blue Bloods podcast. I, I, I do listen. I I check your stuff out on a regular basis. So let's get it started. I want to I want to start with this whole – OU coaching situation. You talked about it with Lincoln Riley leaving. He's now the head coach at the University S of, of University of Southern California, USC. We are going to talk about our top five guys who we think could take over the OU job. But first, I want to start on this. There's reports coming out. I think it was from like CBS. I think I've heard it from ESPN about Cliff Kingsbury potentially being a guy that Oklahoma is going to make a tough run for. What are your thoughts on Cliff Kingsbury potentially being the replacement for Lincoln Riley? And do you think it's possible? Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, man, you sent me all the topics, you know, the other day. So I called my guy. I got, I got some good Oklahoma sources that, you know, shockingly, that that's like one school I'm plugged into. I called him. <laughs> it's like it's like a negative one percent chance that this would okay. ever happen. Like Oklahoma, man, that would be a slam dunk hire. But you look at, you know, it, it's a, you never see NFL coaches leave winning situations. And yeah. you put it in perspective, they're the number one seed in the NFC right now. The Cardinals mm-hmm. are. And that's without Kyler Murray for like four or five games. That team is playing outstanding. And you look at, you know, it's in one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL. You have arguably one of the best young quarterbacks under 25 in Kyler Murray. You have D-Hop. You have A.J. Green. You slam dunk draft Rondell Moore to add to what you already have with Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella. You just landed J.J. Watt. You still have Chandler Jones. Xavier Collins was a great first-round pick. And on top of that, you still have Buda Baker at, in the corner spot. So, I mean, listen, man. The, the, the idea that someone would leave that a real Super Bowl contender, because I mean, they, I think they have the second best odds in the NFL right now to yeah. win the Super Bowl. Um, zero reason to leave right now for Arizona, especially when you combine that with, man, what a dumpster fire is that Oklahoma team right now? Let's just be <laughs> honest. I mean, like, it's a good job because it's a good school and it's Oklahoma with the name brand, but 
who wants to go in there when 60% of the roster is going to be in, going to be in Southern California or 75% is probably going to be in the transfer portal. So for me, I just don't think it'd be a smart business decision for Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And also I don't think there's, and with, with the tampering rules in the NFL, he's really not even allowed to take an interview. So they wouldn't even be able to talk to him to almost February if they made the run that a lot of people think they can. So with the early signing period and with signing period being in February, there's no way they could sit around and wait to see if of Cliff Kingsbury would come after the season because the NFL, you're never going to see a coach abandon a team midseason like you would in college football. I, I agree. And, you know, it was one of those things I was thinking about, and I was trying to think about, like, what's another situation where we've seen a college coach leave in any sport, right? And and we're like, okay, now we need a replacement. Who can we go hire? And the thing I thought I thought of, you know, being in Indiana, being around this, being a Butler fan, was this whole – when the Indiana University basketball job came open this year, the name you heard more than any other was Brad Stevens. You know, he's going to be the head coach of IU. There's interest, there's interest, there's interest. And then, you know, he gets elevated in Boston. He becomes a head coaching job. You know, I think, you know, Brad Stevens said at one point, you know, Indiana was a dream job for him. He said that when he was the head coach at Butler, right? Like that's a place, like one of the few places he would leave Butler to go coach was Indiana University. But that was before he got to the big leagues. Like a guy like Brad Stevens, who was deemed a boy wonder, kind of like what Cliff Kingsbury is in the NFL as far as the offensive genius goes, they, they're not going to go back to college football, at least not in a good situation, right? Like I, I felt Brad Stevens was still in a good situation and still had a year to kind of get things fixed and, and turned around before he may have been fired or whatever. But you know, when you think about this Cliff Kingsbury situation, like you said, I mean, Kyler Murray at one point we was the league MVP at this at, at one point in time in this year. He's been hurt since. So, you know, he's kind of dropped since then. You look at this offense and this team and how they're cooking and the things he's done. Like when Cliff Kingsbury came in, I remember all the crap he got because he was like four and seven at Texas Tech. And everyone's like, this guy can't coach it, you know at a high level bring that west coast style off and it's worked he's done some things he's adjusted he's found the right guys to put around him if anything if it fails in arizona he's going to be an offensive coordinator in the nfl and he's going to make more money if not equal amount of money that he could make at the college level but he's doing it at the highest level in sports so i'm with you i think if anything cliff kingsbury like i i don't even think he takes that phone call like if do you take it if you're cliff no. I mean, you said like, I mean, you could probably answer it and say, yeah, you probably know better than I'm going to, you know, abandon a Super Bowl potential. Team. I mean, like it'd be different if they were calling like a Matt Rule who the Panthers yeah. are really struggling or, you know, a, a Joe Brady who's struggling with the with the job, like someone like a struggling head coach. Yeah, you absolutely could see it, you know, call the Lions up. Maybe you can get, you know. One of them, but like I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, a lot of people were very skeptical. Yeah, I, I think the Cardinals management, the owners, that like the GMs, everything like that, they need a big round of applause, man. They nailed that hire and they bet on themselves and also give Kingsbury a big pat on the back too. He bet on himself. Everyone said you weren't going to be successful going to the NFL. It was a suicide mission. Why in the world would you go to the Arizona Cardinals? And that's a franchise that hasn't been historically successful either. 
and he's turned that pro, you know, he's turned that franchise into a winning franchise and one that's competing at the highest level in one of the toughest divisions. I think I think that whole situation needs a lot more credit than is really given by a lot of football fans. I'm with you. I I completely agree. So um, part of the rundown I sent you was uh, we're going to list our top five coaches for this OU job. Um, I have an honorable mention. It's a guy that I really like, but I want to get to it at the end. I want to get your thoughts on it at the end because I think it's a sneaky pick. One that I don't think is going to happen whatsoever, but one that I would do if I at least make that phone call if I'm the AD of the Oklahoma Sooners. So we're going to, what we're going to do is I'm going to list, you know, we're going to go from five to one, five being the, the candidate that we think is least likely, but you know, if certain scenarios happen, could get the job all the way to the one that we feel like is the most likely to get the job. And we're going to, uh, so what I'll do is I'll have you tell me your fifth candidate, your reasons why, and I'll give my fifth and then your fourth and then my fourth and so on and so forth. So oh, yeah. go ahead and start with who you're at the bottom of the yeah, list yeah. and who your fifth <laughs> candidate is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to, you know, even apply, like, you know, give the show a little bit, you know, of a boost too, man. Like I got some uh, insider info, man, that it's really a two guy race right now. And, and there's everyone else that I'm going to name outside of the top two guys is really on the outside looking in right now in the coaching search. Like they've really zoned in on two guys. And I think you're going to be surprised who the favorite is. But there's really only two guys that are even probably going to get a real interview right now for Oklahoma. But for my fifth spot, man, a dark horse guy is Matt Campbell. Iowa State head coach. I think, you know, he's a guy that that Oklahoma expressed interest in early, but it's kind of toned off recently as they've had other candidates emerge. But you look at what Matt Campbell's done, you can't question his resume. To go win and recruit the t- caliber of player he's getting at Iowa State and Ames, Iowa, is impressive. To have Iowa State competing with Oklahoma – for the Big 12 title to have them have this program in a position to win that conference multiple times is impressive. And then also his player development, man, has been spot on. You look at a Boris Hall, who was the leading rusher in the country last year as a top three rusher this year. He was a three-star running back that just came out of nowhere. His development of Brock Purdy, that defense has been top 20 year in and year out. When you look at culture builders and guys who can win without upper tier talent, that's Matt Campbell. So what? So the possibilities are endless on what he could do with the name brand of Oklahoma, with the resources of Oklahoma, and the funding and the in the recruiting budgets of an Oklahoma. Because if you can sell a kid on a vision for the Cyclones in Ames, Iowa, I have no doubt you can sell me on a vision with that OU and, and coming to Norman, Oklahoma, to possibly even compete for a national championship. I agree. I think uh, Matt Campbell was a guy who I at one point had on my list. But there are some other guys that I liked more that I felt could have fit that role better. And I'm going to start off with an NFL guy, actually. Uh, he's not a head coach. I'm going to go with Joe Brady. Like, I think, you know, Joe Brady is a guy that, to me, you look at what he did with Joe Burrow at LSU, you know, even early on this year with Sam Darnold. I know Darnold's not the guy now, but early on, there was a lot of chat. Like, man, Sam's turned his, turn it around. Look at the, you know, the resurgence that Sam's had and, like, I, I do think Matt Rule is probably going to be given one more year and then they'll probably clean house in Carolina and Joe could be finding himself trying to find a job. I think Joe Brady's the perfect guy to work with Caleb down there in Oklahoma. I think he's, he's got the perfect, you know, 
he's been part of a national championship team. He knows how to win. He knows what the day in and day out grind to be a national champion looks like. And he's been at one of the top schools in the country. Like that's the thing you have to deal, deal with when you hire some of these guys, like for example, a Matt Campbell, like he's coached at Iowa state, but the expectations at Oklahoma are 10 times what they are at Iowa state. Like at Iowa state, you could lose, you, you could put together a, a seven and five season and you're going to get, you know, an extension on your contract, but you put a seven and five season at Oklahoma and they're looking for who your replacement is. So there's, there's different expectations at these, at these schools. And so I think Joe Brady understands that and he understands the pressure and what comes with coaching at a school like Oklahoma. And to me, I think could be a guy who could really be a good head coach. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good pick. I know, um, there, there's a lot of questions. I mean, there's 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 talk that I mean he could be a head coach in the NFL in the coming years too. Yeah, so I think true. it's going to be weighing a lot of options. And also, I do think that he'd be a good hire because I think the the you know perception of him as a offensive guru would be go a long way into keeping Caleb Williams at Oklahoma, which in, in my opinion, based on everything that Oklahoma is talking about, that's really their main goal right now is to try to keep as much of that roster together. Marvin Mims is sitting and waiting. Caleb Williams, they got some big fish right now waiting to see who they hire. So, I mean, if they can get a Joe Brady, man, I think that'd be a huge, a huge gift for Oklahoma. All right. Who's your, who's your number four? Uh, this guy's not getting it, but he's a guy that I know Oklahoma has expressed interest in, and that's Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He's yeah. and 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 he's just one of those candidates, man. I mean, it was Billy Napier for the longest time. There's these group of five guys who win at the group of five level, and they're going to be a candidate for every single Power Five opening that ever comes open, regardless okay, of where it is. I'm going to ask you. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm going to ask you a question about uh, Luke Fickle. Um, what what does he do now? that the Notre Dame job is essentially full. And we'll talk about the Notre Dame job here in a minute, but that's very interesting to me because I felt like if there was a place that Luke Fickle was going to go that was not named Cincinnati, it was going to be um, Notre Dame. But Notre Dame seems to have found their guy and looks like they're going to hire their their, uh, Marcus Freeman. Yeah, uh, so I talked to my Cincinnati guy when this like all went down and I mean, really and truly, Luke Fickle didn't even reach out to Notre Dame about the job um, opening. Like, so the, per- the perception is that he has to he has to eventually move up. Well, what people are missing is, one, he's built that program from uh, damn near the ground up. I mean, really yeah. and truly. Him and Marcus Freeman built that program with their bare hands. I mean, they had a little bit of help with Brian Kelly, but there was enough removed where Cincinnati really went downhill after yeah. Brian Kelly left. So give Luke Fickle a lot of credit. That's his team. Every single player on that roster he recruited. And this this is a team that legit, I mean, right now is good, probably, I mean, if they can win this weekend, that their college football playoff odds are almost 100% if they win this weekend. Let's just be honest with how these – with Ohio State losing, that really helped them out, and they're probably in regardless. But if they get to the college football playoff, man, they're moving to the Power Five in two years. They're going to get that TV money. And Luke Fickle, from the, the – my guy works with 247, he said that Luke Fickle sees an opportunity where he, him and Cincinnati's program that he built could be the face of the Big 12 of the future. He feels like he can replace Oklahoma at the top of the Big 12. He And there's a real belief in Cincinnati right now, man. Stu, I'm serious. They think they have the most talent on their team compared to anybody else in the Big 12 right now. They think if they were in the Big 12 right now, they'd be winning the conference championship in that conference as well. I, I think 
I mean, is there really much of an argument? Like, in, in my I mean, opinion, is there much maybe of an Oklahoma argue? State? But they got a lot of questions on the offensive side and, of the ball. And maybe Baylor, but like, yeah, maybe. And I but, mean, and Dave Aranda's only been there for this is only his second year, so he has a lot of holes open. And also, their starting quarterback might be out this weekend. Yeah. They got a lot of question marks around Baylor. So I mean, right now, Cincinnati looks like the strongest team because Texas is. even you, know, you could keep Texas and Oklahoma in the argument. Right now, Texas doesn't look great, even if you kept them in the conference. Kansas State didn't have a great year. TCU has a new coach. Texas Tech just fired and hired a new coach. Kansas Kansas might not even compete at the FCS level. They've been struggling in the Missouri Valley Conference. <laughs> and there's nobody in that conference where you're like, man, that team really scares me. And yeah. I think Luke Fickle has a point. And so, And I've said this on my show. Every opening that he's been linked to, I just haven't seen him wanting to leave because – I look at it similar, and it's not on this level, but it's a similar relationship to the program. I looked at him kind of like a Dabo Sweeney. Yeah. Why would Dabo Sweeney ever take another job? He could never win another national championship at Clemson. That stadium would be named after him in 20 years. They'll have a statue I, outside that stadium of Dabo Sweeney. Luke Fickle's in a very similar situation to Cincinnati. If he gets them to the playoffs, and Stu, I don't think either of us think they'll beat Georgia for the Natty or anything like no. that. But let's say they pull the first round upset over a Michigan or an Oklahoma State, which is possible. That's which a doable very possible. goal. Very possible. If he went, if he gets them to the national championship, Luke Fickle is going to go down as the greatest coach of all time in Cincinnati history, and there will be no more pressure. They're going to sign him to just like Nick Saban has to Alabama. It's not lifetime contract, but it's a lifetime contract. He's never going to get fired from Cincinnati. And so, why would you want to go and take over an Oklahoma program? Like I said, with same with Cliff. Cliff Kingsbury, you're going to have to restart and build that program from the ground up now with because every player that had playing experience that was recruited by Lincoln Riley is now going to be in the transfer portal probably by next week. And so for me, I just didn't think it made sense for Fickle, but I understand why he's a candidate because, listen, man, you got as much as there's people who don't believe Cincinnati is a top four team, what he's done at Cincinnati is, is impressive and you can't question his coaching resume and I don't yeah. think he got a fair shot at the power five level. And I think you would agree with me, the, the Ohio state situation, him having to take over for Jim Tressel two weeks before the season with like half the team suspended and all the allegations and Ohio state only gave him one year. I thought that was a really unfair chance at the P five level. If he, if he can take Cincinnati and they win the big 12, I got a real tough time seeing Luke Fickle leaving unless that Ohio state job opens up. Cause that's, that one's going to hold a special place in his heart. I feel like. You, you stole exactly what I was about to say. You talked about Dabo. I think there's only for Luke Fickle and for Dabo. I think there's only two, one place a piece, but two places. I think either one of those would go Dabo. I think it would be Bama when Nick Saban left You know, if, if Bama came to, you know, Dabo and said, hey, like you played here. We know the history you have with Alabama. Like we know the history you did with Clemson. We would love to have you as the head coach. I I think Dabo, he may not say yes, but I think Dabo at least thinks about it and and has that conversation with his family. And I think the same thing can be said for Luke Fickle. If Ryan Day were to ever take an NFL job or whatever and Ohio State came calling the Fickle, I think it's something he may he may not leave Cincinnati. Because he may look at the Big Twelve and say, "We could we could run rampant over this for the next decade," but I think if Ohio State called, that's one that he's listening to, and he's you know he's going to sit down with his family and be like, you know, they're going to have serious conversations. I, I I do believe that you stole the words right out of my mouth, so you were thinking the same <laughs> thing I was thinking. 
and you what they say, great minds think alike. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to my number four. It was your guy, Matt Campbell. Again, he's, he's played in the Big 12. He knows how to win in the Big 12. He's shown different things. You know, Rock Purdy's been an NFL guy for now, like three years. It feels like 10, but, it, you know, three years. So we he knows how to work with quarterbacks who have talent, stuff like that. The only problem is, for me, he's 47 and 33 overall as a head coach. Like, he's not a, he's not a you know, perennial, consistent, consummate winner enough for for Oklahoma like Oklahoma can't screw this up they really can't like I mean they can but I'm saying they they can't afford to is what I'm trying to say because like you need if if it was announced today or tomorrow or right now as we're recording this podcast that Matt Campbell's the head coach at Oklahoma like players aren't going to be writing home to mom saying how happy they are that Matt Campbell's the head coach like this is a our ABCD option didn't work. Matt Campbell's, you know, in the Big 12. He he has experience. We trust him type of thing. That's that's how I look at the Matt Campbell situation. I think, it, you know, two years ago, if this was two years ago or if this is last year, it's a different story. But I think the Matt Campbell train has kind of run its course, and we've kind of seen Matt Campbell for what he is. And – I'm not saying he can't be a great head coach at a, at a bigger program. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that like people are looking at him at Iowa state and saying, you've had all these expectations for Iowa state. Like I believe a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, the expectation was this was a team that could sneak into the college football playoff and they didn't do it and they haven't done it. And so like, it's one of those things where with Matt Campbell, I have questions if he wins enough to be the head coach at Oklahoma. No, I mean, that's a fair critique. I mean, they had a great chance to win the Big 12 last year, man. I mean, they beat yeah. Oklahoma in Ames. They had a big upset over, I mean, at, like Texas. I mean, they they were on a roll, and then they really kind of – I'm not going to say they choked it, but I mean, they kind of choked it in the Big 12 championship. That game was their game to lose. I didn't like their game plan. And then, you know, they did get a big uh, New Year's Six Bowl win in the Fiesta Bowl over Oregon. I'll give them that. But – uh, overall, man, I, I agree with you on that. But for my number three, man, this might shock you. And this is this is my dark horse candidate. I put him at three because I know it's a two-man race, but I think this guy's going to get a call. Dave Aranda Baylor is becoming the most interesting candidate, in my opinion, left. For me, I've been on the Marcus Freeman. She could be a head coach like two years ago, and he finally got that shot. So now my obsession is with Dave Aranda. This guy has so much potential as a head coach that – I don't think like he was. A, I know we took an interview at Washington. Washington was very interested in him due to his West Coast connections. I know, I know that USC potentially could have looked at him, but man, this guy's only in his second year, man. He took over a Baylor team that everyone thought was going to fall off the face of the earth after Matt Rule left. They had a tough COVID season. I believe they only had two wins that year with a very young team. And in only one year, he has them fighting for a Big 12, a Big 12 title, man. You've got to give him a lot of credit. He built it on the back of a strong running game. And listen. I don't know, outside of Brent Venables, maybe Dan Lanning at Georgia and and Nick Saban at Alabama, I mean, he might be one of the best defensive minds in college football right now. Really and truly good. Looking back at, you know, Wisconsin 2013 to 2015, he was the D coordinator there for some of those great Barry Alvarez teams. 2016 to 2019, they've had some great LSU defenses, including, you know, he was part of the, he was a big part of that national championship run LSU made. And 
He also does have Big 12 connections. He was a grad assistant at Texas Tech to start his career. Houston, he has the Texas experience being a linebacking coach there. He's also, he, and he, like now at Baylor, he's beaten Oklahoma this year. And yeah. this is actually funny, man. So he's faced off against Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma three times. The lowest three, the, the lowest three yardage totals in Lincoln Riley's career have all came against Dave Aranda. That's crazy. He, Dave, he Dave's, to, a, Dave's a heck of a guy, and I, I don't have him on my list. I think that's a a fault on my part, shall I say. I, I didn't even think about Dave Miranda because I felt like it was one of those things where, like, Baylor wouldn't let him go, or I feel like Baylor would probably go to the bank, ask to borrow a Brinks truck, and then backs yeah. it up to his front door and <laughs> a just blank check. All dumps all the money out. I felt like that's what it was. So that's why he didn't make the list for me. But I agree. Everything you said, 100%. Did not mean to cut you off. I'll let you finish. Oh, no, you're, I just wanted oh, no, to say good, I man. completely that, agree. No, yeah, you're good to go, man. Yeah, that was, that's where I was going to leave it off is that, I mean, listen, he's got it figured out. And why not, if you're going to try to replace Lincoln Raleigh, why not get the guy who has built programs and he's seen it happen with Ed O. And he's, and he's also done a great job at hiring OCs. Baylor has one of the top offenses in the country right now. They have a top five rushing attack in the entire country right now from a defensive head coach. That's very, very hard to do. He, listen, he, his, he made a bad coordinator hire his first year, fired him after year one, nailed the second one. So hiring offensive coordinators are the toughest things for defensive head coaches. And I've heard Oklahoma has their eye on an offensive coordinator. If they hire a defensive head coach, they are going to throw a bag at Kenny Dillingham at Florida State. They are going to yeah. throw the Brinks truck at him. That's who they've tabbed as their next offensive coordinator if they hire a defensive-minded head coach. And their top two candidates, let me just say, are defensive-minded head coaches. So look for Kenny Dillingham to be the right-hand man for anybody that Oklahoma hires this year. I think I have one of their candidates as my number one guy, but we'll wait We'll wait till we get there. But I, too, at three, have a guy who I think it would be going out on a limb He's a former head coach of an SEC team. Hugh Freeze of Liberty. I, I think Hugh Freeze to me could be a guy who, with what he's done with Malik Willis, who, you know, could, depending on who you ask on what day, Malik Willis is the best quarterback in this draft class. Maybe he's not. We talked about Caleb Williams. Like they need a guy who can, can you know, attract Caleb Williams back to, you know, Oklahoma. And Hugh Freeze to me is like, that guy, like if if Hugh Freeze comes through the door, Caleb Williams is going to say, "Well, Malik Willis went to Liberty, and he's the second best quarterback in the draft. Imagine what he could yeah. do for me." And I'm playing here in Oklahoma in the Big Twelve, where defenses don't exist. So, I mean, it's one of those things. I think Hugh Freeze to me, I again, I'm not the AD, but Hugh Freeze to me is one of those guys that if I'm the AD at Oklahoma, I'm making a phone call and being at least gauging the interest before I, you know, move on to anybody else. Like I think Hugh Freeze is an underrated head coach and a guy who I think could really, who's going to get another shot at a big time college football team. I, I don't know who, I mean, we just, before we came on, we heard Virginia fired their head coach and maybe Hugh Freeze gets that job. I don't know, but that's definitely something to look out for. And Hugh Freeze is definitely a guy, maybe not for the Oklahoma job, but for some other jobs to keep your eye on. Um, I mean, just some insider stuff for you, man. You know, like Auburn's like my number one school. I graduated from there, got all the connections. I, I know the top guys there. Auburn wanted Hugh Freeze. The SEC blocked that hire. 
The really? SEC has Hugh Freeze blacklisted because of what he did at Ole Miss right now. They like they're they're looking at it as almost like he's serving a suspension. They don't want him to tarnish, you know, the face of the program. I think you're going to see. Listen, Art Bryles, Hugh Freeze, these coaches are sitting out there, and there's been a lot of talk about them sliding into some of these roles. So I think what it's going to take is, it, like it always does, is someone to take a chance. Are they willing to fight the PR battle that may come with hiring? Now, it's much less for Hugh Freeze than it would be in Art Bryles due to the nature of the situation yeah. at hand. But you saw the same thing happen with Tennessee. They tried to go out on a limb and hire Greg Schiano, and they about burnt the campus down at Tennessee. And they went <laughs> with Jeremy Pruitt, and they probably wish they would have went with Greg Schiano based on his success that he's having again at Rutgers. But I don't know what it is. I think Greg Schiano is only good at Rutgers, but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> for another day, man. But um, my number two candidate, man, is a guy that got a lot of publicity early in this coaching search, but it's kind of faded off as this number one prospect has emerged. Number two for me is Brent Venables for Clemson. D coordinator for the Tigers, man. Listen, I mean, what what do I even have to say that ha- that can't and like hasn't been said about this guy? I mean, he's from Kansas, played community college football in, in, um, in Garden City, went to Kansas State, worked at Kansas State under Bill Snyder as he was building up that program, including that 1998 season where they almost where they almost went to the national championship. Also, spent time as the co-D coordinator at Oklahoma from 99 to 2003. Also was the assistant head coach and the D coordinator from 04 to 2011 for the Sooners before he went to Clemson men and what multi-time national champion won the BCS championship in 2000 with Oklahoma was the Broyles award winner in 2016 when they had that I mean they had such an elite defense in 2016 and also my favorite gameplay listen and I we're going to do a film breakdown on my channel this offseason of it his game plan in 2018 against Alabama and Tua yeah was so spectacular, and I really don't think people who – I mean, there's college football fans and there's people like analysts who watch college football. I don't think people understand how beautiful he schemed that game with the corner blitzes, with the way he he was disguising coverages, with the way that D-line dominated. That might have been one of the best defensive games ever called in a national championship. So, for me, this would be a slam dunk hire. Listen – Brent Venables is kind of like Moby Dick of college football. There's been so many people who have tried to get Brent Venables to lead their program. Auburn, Florida, LSU. I mean, he's been associated with almost every power five job for like five years now. And if Oklahoma can land him, it would be like landing the crown jewel of uh, the crown jewel of college football. Now it's kind of slowed down over the past few days, but Brent Venables has definitely been in contact with Oklahoma. He's definitely going to get an interview and it's going to be interesting to see if Oklahoma tries to close the deal with Venables. That's a, that's a good choice. That's a good, that's a good choice. Um, (laughs) My number two, I took the easy way. I, for two, I, I, I shouldn't do it, but I did. I took the easy route, and I'm going to say Bob Stoops. He's serving as their interim head coach. I, I mean, if Bob Stoops gets that gets that itch again, if he's in there for the next however many weeks he's in there, and he gets that coaching itch again, he's a legend at Oklahoma. I think it would be very, very, very hard for Oklahoma to be like, nah, you can't come back if he goes to the to the AD or the front office and says, I miss it. I, I got the I got the itch again. I want to do it. Bring me back. I think I think it'd be very hard for them to be like, no, nah, we're gonna go with this guy who was either a guy who 
hasn't coached at this level or some guy who's never been a head coach, when you have a legend like Bob Stoops, I think it's going to be very, very hard to convince yourself to not hire Bob Stoops. That's why I have him as a second because he's, he's there in the building already. I mean, he's already there in the building. He's the interim head coach. He's right there. If that itches, again, I don't know because I, I don't have people close to Bob Stoops. I don't talk to people close to Bob Stoops, or, and I don't know him personally as to how he feels. And if pursuing this as a long-term thing is even in the front of his mind, but I had an idea, and here's what I was thinking. If Bob Stoops were to, let's say, Oklahoma came to Bob Stoops and said, listen, we want you to be the head coach for the next three years. But what we'll do is let you pick the offensive coordinator, whether it's a, a Joe Brady, the guy at Florida State that you yeah, mentioned. Dillingham, yeah. Kind of like they did with, with Lincoln Riley. You coach him, you get him used to, you know, Oklahoma, how he operate, and then you step away in three years. I could see Bob Stoops doing that, kind of like he did with the whole Lincoln Riley thing where he stepped away, Riley got the head coaching job, and it kind of like they picked up and didn't even miss a beat. I could see that being – a step that Oklahoma could take if Bob Seuss is willing. Yeah, uh, you know, the latest there is that um, from this is from Sooners 247, and they they dropped this, I believe it was like an hour or so ago. He's he's like pretty much leading the search committee. Like he's okay. the head, like he's gonna be looking for that. And it looks like it looks like he entertained it, but then I think ultimately he I like I personally I think it was the I thought he when he was gonna step in. They had all the players there. You know, I, I think yeah. he thought he could step in and win immediately. But now that you're going to have to replace all that talent, I don't know if that's something that he wants on his plate. He's going to be very tied to the new head coach, but I'd be very shocked that they announced him. It looks like he might not even be a candidate, but he is going to be the interim head coach. And like you and like you know, if they go out in the bowl game and perform well, everything could change all, like yeah. drop of a hat. But um my number one candidate, and this is a candidate, that, I mean, they're talking about maybe this being announced as early as Sunday. From what I've been hearing, Dan Lanning, Georgia defensive coordinator, has emerged okay. as the favorite for this for the, for this job. And he's a first-time head coaching ha- candidate. And I think that's why Bob Stoops is going to be very involved, kind of, you know, walk him through. He'll, he'll be serving more of an advisory role to landing if he's hired but i think this i think landing's been such an underrated candidate all cycle all, all coaching cycle i liked him for the tcu job he was pretty much he's pretty much a gary patterson clone like if you look back 20 years when tcu had hired patterson that's what dan landing is in this coaching cycle and i mean only 35 he was he interviewed for the kansas job last year too so uh, these big 12 jobs have been really reaching out to landing but when you look at who has the clout who has the resources the money to really lure him away from out from georgia it's got to be oklahoma compared to a tcu or a kansas i mean you look at his pedigree man was on the 2015 national championship squad with nick saban was on mike norvell's staff that made the new year six bowl at memphis and now he worked under Mel Tucker as the outside linebacker coach at Georgia, stepped into that D coordinator role. And listen, the I think even if you don't watch college football, you, you know how good the Georgia defense is right now. He's yep. been one of the top recruiters in the country. They're allowing less than six points a game, less than 240 yards per game. And he's been a key factor in Kirby Smart really turning around Georgia. He's one of the hottest young prospects in the game. And I want to I want to kind of make a comparison for you. This is literally Lincoln Riley, but the other side of the ball. 
Yeah. When they hired Lincoln Riley, they were almost the same age. They had the same, they no head coaching experience, but Dan Lanning, when you look at his credentials and his coaching tree, I think it even exceeds what Lincoln Riley's was at that time when Oklahoma hired yeah. him. And on top of that, I mean, to, Dan Lanning, in my opinion, I think is going to be a A-plus hire for Oklahoma. Now, he might not carry the big splash name like a lot of people want. And I think college football fans have to get out of the idea that the name carries more than the credentials. If you look into his coaching tree, you look into his success everywhere he's been, Dan Lanning's an outstanding candidate. But average college football fans and maybe some Oklahoma fans with a lot of money might say, Dan Lanning, what recruit's going to listen to him? Well, Georgia has a lot of five stars on that on that defense that really listen to him. And also, Dan Lanning, it, what happens if he can build a pipeline to Georgia for Oklahoma recruiting? Talk yeah. about a game-changing <laughs> – and also – I think Oklahoma, and this is the thinking that I'm assuming they're going to say, is no matter who's the head coach, we always have an offense. There has not been a year in the past 40 years Oklahoma hasn't had an elite offense. If we can get a defensive head coach that can build a defensive culture, what is our potential? And also, they're moving to the SEC, Stu. What is better than a head coach with SEC ties? He's been at Bama. He's been in Memphis and Tennessee. He's been at Georgia. He's got the SEC Southern ties. There's and and if you're coming to the SEC, you're going to have to recruit Louisiana. You're going to have to go into Alabama and fight the Auburns and Alabamas. You're going to have to go into Georgia and fight Georgia, Florida. You got to go beat Florida. You got to recruit South Carolina against South Carolina. You got to beat Tennessee and Tennessee. Got to go into Mississippi and fight Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. You need someone with experience doing that. Dan Lanning offers that. He's a young, energetic head coach. And Stu, and Stu, I know you've noticed this. The trend of coaching hires, you know, 10 years ago was the older you are, the better you are. Yep. Now, now it's, it's younger. younger. It's the younger you can go. I mean, look at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman and uh, and the offensive coordinator, Reese, are 30, what, 35 and 29. Those are the top two people in Notre Dame. Yep. Stu, I am tw- I'm turning 25 in, t- in four days. I'm turning 25. This dude's only four years older than me as the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame and has been in the program as a QB coach in the, o- in the OC for five years. <laughs> like, let that settle. He was hired at, like, 25 to yeah. come in and be that. Be- so the younger, the better. I- Oklahoma has experience going younger. I think Dan Lanning is – and they said – and I- my source said, if everything goes according to plan after the SEC championship and they win, Dan Lanning could be announced as the head coach as early as Sunday. My number one, I, I like that. I, I think that would be a good hire because I, I do think in a, in a conference that doesn't really – I'm pretty sure they outlaw defenses. I'm pretty sure it's like in the contract. Uh, that, that that's if you, that, that's that, unfair, man. Listen, they got, they've got they had some elite defenses over the past two years. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving the Big 12 a hard time. No. Oh, man, but, listen, they deserve it sometimes. Trust me. I, they I, aggravate me sometimes. I, I think that would be a great hire. My number one guy was – Brent Venables, for all the reasons that you mentioned, for all the things that you mentioned, the championships, the defenses, all that stuff for the mindset. Here's my honorable mention, and this is kind of a dream hire for me. Not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but this is a call that if Stuart Brooking was the AD at Oklahoma, he would make. Just to gauge interest in coaching, not coaching Oklahoma, coaching period, it would be Chris Peterson for me. 
Like you talk about a really, really, really good football coach. Like if I'm Oklahoma, I, I was going to use this as the USC thing too, before they hired Lincoln Riley, like, or, yeah. or even Notre Dame before they made Marcus Freeman. Like you need a guy who can, who I don't think the name would phase him. Like, Oh, I'm coaching in Oklahoma, all this pressure. Oh my gosh. How do I, I think he'd be just fine. You know, you look at what he did at Washington. He took Washington to a college football playoff. I know I used him as an example as to why Cincinnati shouldn't be in there a lot, but what he did at Washington was impressive. And it, I would have loved to have seen what he would have done with Jacob Eason. If he had been there with Jacob Eason, Eason's entire time there at Washington, I would have loved to have seen what he, you know, could have done had he gone to a bigger, a bigger school. Now, you know, he left coaching because of, you know, some of the, things that come with coaching, the stress and all the other stuff. So, you know, if I was an AD, I feel like to do your just do, you would have to call and at least ask, at least see what the interest in coaching period is. And if it's above, if it's a 50-50 shot, if it's above 40%, I say you bring him into the building, you talk with him, and you try to try to do everything you can. Because we're talking about a guy who has 147 wins and like 36 losses that is a like 73 percent winning percentage like when when yeah. he was at washington when he was up there like i ranked peterson below two guys urban meyer and nick saban like yeah. you could have argued for Dabo, but i thought chris peterson was that good and i think yeah chris peterson if he ever got back into coaching and he ever got a big time job we could see his superstar rise to the level because I think he's a really good football coach and I think he would be a guy who would not fold under the pressure of the name that comes with whatever school he gets hired at yeah and I mean I know uh for a fact LSU called him and expressed interest because that was one of the candidates that was was up there with with Lincoln Riley and Mark Stoops is that they call Chris Peterson I know Washington did too because Washington had to open it and they were talking about maybe bringing Peterson back again to try to you know correct that program but it looked like you know nothing really worked out maybe the money wasn't right like you said maybe he wasn't maybe he's wanted to put out feelers to see kind of what was out there for him but I don't think that's a bad call man I mean you know if, if something happens with landing or Venables or something like that I mean if you need a backup plan a, a coach that turned Boise State into what they were yeah. a coach that turned to Washington into a college football playoff contender man I would have to say that's a pretty damn good backup plan yeah, I, I put him as an honorable mention. I had him as my number one, but then I was like, I can't put somebody at number one that isn't <laughs> realistically going to happen. So that's why I put him as an honorable mention. I want to talk about Riley now to USC. There were reports early. Now, I don't know if you saw yesterday or, or if you happened to watch it today that uh, Lincoln Riley went on to Colin Cowherd's show and Cowherd yep. asked him about the Oklahoma going to the SEC. Was that part of the decision? I'm going to tell you this. I felt like Riley's answer as to leaving Oklahoma because they're going to the SEC was a load of baloney. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's a big reason why. I, I've heard – I've read multiple articles. I've seen multiple reports that that is a reason why he left Oklahoma was because he did not want to go to the U – or to the SEC and compete in the SEC. Yeah. So I think him saying no – it's the same thing when he said, I'm not leaving to be the head coach of any other school. And then he left and became the head coach at USC. That's that's what I think he was saying there. For me, when he t 
told Colin Cowherd on, on Cowherd's show that the SEC was not a reason he, he wanted to leave Oklahoma because I think it was 100% a reason he wanted to leave Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I, I think it played a part, man. And I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that front that, like, he probably could have been more transparent about everything. But for me, I, I think the narrative, and I've said this on my show, and I, I said it in the chat, uh, you know, the Off the Ball Network chat, too. I, I think the argument that he was ducking the SEC is a little bit of a lazy argument, in my opinion. Um, I, I feel like, to a point, was did he want to go to the SEC? Probably not. But I don't think it was because of competition or any or anything like that. So, I'll, like the way I tried to explain it, I've always I've been trying to find a better analogy. But I think he made a smart business decision yeah. in terms of ma- making that. And what I mean by that is the ultimate goal in college football, regardless of where you are, is to win a national title, right? Or at least get to, have a chance to get to the college football playoff. Well, the why in the world would you? want to go to the SEC where you have to, you know, literally, I mean, it, you have to beat Nick Saban, now Brian Kelly, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, Brian Harson, and Sam Pittman all in one division. I mean, and then whoever Texas is going to have as their head coach at that point in time too. So Exactly. And, and who knows what the divisions will look like when Oklahoma and Texas join too. They've been talking yeah. about all kind of different possibilities, but that's just one division. Man, you probably can combine – three out of the four other conferences and they don't have that much head coaching talent in their entire, like combined across three conferences. And that's, that's the SEC West. And then in the East, now you got Billy Napier, Shane Beamer's an outstanding young head coach that just got hired. Josh Heupel is at Tennessee doing big things. Kirby smart. And I mean, like, come on, man. Like it's, it's, and then Mark Stoops is winning at Kentucky. If you win at Kentucky, I got mad respect for you in football. Mark that's Stoops impossible was actually, to do. Mark Stoops was actually on my list. He was actually at the five spot on my list. But, you know, after he said, I'm not leaving, I obviously had to take him off yeah. because if he's not leaving, he's not leaving. So he was on my list and, to, to be the Oklahoma job. But and, and, and for me, and I think people are short shot or, or like, yeah, they're looking too short-sightedly at this because one – Yes, like would go into the SEC be amazing. And like LSU is a great job, but at their peak, when they're good, USC is arguably the best job in, in, in college football. Like, I mean, let's be honest, in terms of location, in terms of booster money, in terms of recruiting pipelines, in, in, in terms of brand recognition, in terms of TV money, when they're good, USC is going to be on national on national TV for every single game, just like they were in the early 2000s, just like they were when Sam Darnold kind of got them back on the right path. LSU was not going to be able to compete with USC at their peak, and you and LSU is probably a, still a top three job in college football. Let's be honest; they got the, they got everything else. But when you're Lincoln Riley, and I asked people this, and no one and everyone kind of agreed with it, name a head coach in college football that's more L, Southern LA than Lincoln Riley right now. No one. He fits it perfectly. And let's just be honest. Does he fit Southern Louisiana and Baton Rouge as well as he does Southern California? I think think his accent does, but that's about it. Like I, that's about it. I did. I did hear him talking on the Colin show and I was like, dang, he he has kind of a Southern accent. Like hopefully that gets fixed down there in California. (laughs) They're going to make fun of him a lot. That's funny because that that that's actually the rumor of why they didn't hire Coach Ed Orgeron is that his <laughs> accent like really they said his accent wasn't the standard of USC football. 
it's interesting you brought that up because I was going to ask you a kind of a rhetorical question. You would have known the answer to it, but at their peak, there's four jobs in all of sports that people are going to to flock to in all of sports, college, yeah. professional, all of it. USC, the Los Angeles Lakers, the New York Yankees, and the Dallas Cowboys. No matter how bad the Yankees are, they're always getting the top head, you know, manager, head coaching candidate. No matter how bad the LA Lakers are, they're always ruling in the best head coaching candidates. No matter how bad the Dallas Cowboys are, they're doing the same thing. And no matter how bad USC is, USC is doing the same thing. Here's the thing. I, I, I said this to my roommate earlier. If USC gets back to where they were under Pete Carroll, my God. Are, people want to complain right now about the SEC and how it – like we will probably be seeing Georgia, Alabama, insert Big Ten school here, whether it's Michigan, Ohio State, and USC in the top four. Like – Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there is no better time to expand the college football playoffs than right now because of what Lincoln, what I think Lincoln Riley is going to do to USC. And think about it, you have Snoop Dogg on the sideline. You'll have Will Ferrell back on the sideline. Like there's nothing better than LA when they get LA. He, plus his his quarterback he brought to Oklahoma is now with him at, at USC. I'm pretty sure it's running back that went that once committed to Oklahoma is now at USC with him. Like I give it two years. I give it two years and. And USC is a, a top 10, maybe a top five team in the country. Yeah. And I mean, the other the other thing that I thought people just looked over is, you know, Lincoln doesn't have a history of recruiting Southern Louisiana great. Like the odds of him building a wall around Baton Rouge was very low. As good of a recruiter as he is, but he already had a small wall built around California. You look at that 2023 yeah. class, five-star Malachi Nelson five-star Mikhail Lemon, teammates in, uh, I believe it's Los Almatos High School, like 40 miles away from USC, was already signed to Oklahoma. You had four-star DeAndre Moore, also in Southern California. And when you look at how he was recruiting Southern California, there was no way that, that he wasn't a fit. And the idea that, oh, he was running from the SEC. No, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go to USC. He played to his strengths with the Southern California recruiting. It's the swag. It's the youth. It's the fast lifestyle. It's the competing with the entertainment moguls of the world. Instead of going to Baton Rouge and having the pressure of having to beat Nick Saban every single year. You know what he's going to go do? Compete with Mario Cristobal. Which yeah. nothing wrong with crawfish. I'm just saying. No, no, it's it's good. I, I, look, I'm a southern guy too. I'm from Southern Alabama. Crawfish is crawfish is one of my <laughs> favorite foods. Don't hate on crawfish now, but I mean, what in the Pac-12 you get Oregon every year because Mario Cristobal has done an outstanding job developing yeah. that Oregon program from where it was. You get Utah every one or two years because Kyle Whittingham's done a solid job, and Utah's always nine and three, ten and two, and then this year they just had an outstanding year, and you'll get one of those. You'll get Washington potentially if they can get that program rebuilt and then every year you'll get one of ucla arizona state or colorado will be good and they never are good in the same year they'll like rotate in in and out one of them will be good every year but you'll probably beat them you're almost guaranteed a spot in the pac 12 shot title every single year if you go out yeah. there and guess what you're going to be rested and you're going to go to the playoffs and 
is the narrative still going to be the same if he takes USC and go goes and wins three or four national titles over Alabama, over Georgia, over Clemson, over no. whoever's there? I mean, th- that's why I say the argument that he was scared or ran from the SEC is false. What he said is, and it's just like, you know, I, I'm a big UFC guy, so it's just like the UFC fight. Instead of having to fight the number, the, the, the you know, champion before – like it's like fighting a champion and like without the belt on the line it's like you're just doing it for like a fun matchup it's like i'm not going to win the heavyweight title but i'm gonna go fight uh tyson fury it's like that's that's stupid like you need to go fight for the belt so what he said is i'm going to go the easier route and i'll meet y'all in the championship fight with my with my fighter with like my players my my team and we'll see you in the championship when everything's on the line rather than playing you in the middle of october when nothing matters yeah, I thought that was that. That's what I mean by he made a smart business decision. He took an easier path, and now he's going to he's going to finally get to prove if he can compete with the SEC. But he's going to do it when something is actually on the line, rather than playing them on September twenty seventh and having to go into Bryant Denny and possibly having to face Saban every year. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a good point you make. I, I do want to go now to Brian Kelly on on taking the LSU job and I, I we can talk about how he left and all that other stuff. I feel like every other, you know, radio show, podcast, broadcast, or anybody with a, a phone that can type on Facebook already has. So yeah. like, I kind of don't want to beat the bush on how he left and how he left his players high and dry, whatever, it is what it is. He has to live with the decision, not me. Here's how I look at it. People look at the – I've heard a lot about Brian Kelly in, in recent you know, days since he got hired as the LSU head coach, and everyone talks about, well, he wasn't even that good at Notre Dame. He's Notre Dame's all-time winning as head coach. Like, he's he's won more games at Notre Dame than anybody else. The problem with him has been the reason I don't like seeing Notre Dame in the national championship is he he can't compete. It, like he hasn't been able to compete with the big dogs to to put himself up there with the likes of like an Urban Meyer or a a Nick Saban or a Dabo Sweeney. Like he hasn't been able to do it at, at that level yet. Like we've seen a Kirby Smart do. Like we've seen others do. I this is the opportunity he's going to have because. LSU is two years removed from a national championship. And I understand they fired Ed Orgeron and whatnot, but that's another part of this. I'll get to too here in a minute, but like you're finally going to have recruits. You're, you're in the sec. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying LSU players are dumb, but the athlete, the academic standards are nowhere near as high as they are at Notre Dame. And you're not playing in the cold. Trust me, I live in Indiana. It sucks here in the winter. I'd rather be where it's 60 degrees in, you know, November or December as opposed to somewhere where I have to drive and, and wear a big heavy snow coat and start my car 30 minutes early before I leave. Like, I would rather go play for somebody there. Here's the thing. Here's the other side. Speaking of Ed Orgeron, you can't get away with some of the things I feel like he got away with at Notre Dame. Like, Everyone tells me, and you you said it in the chat, I'm not trying to dismiss the name of Notre Dame and how important Notre Dame is, but everyone tells me, like, Notre Dame and, and it's the name and the name's going to bring all these players and all this stuff, but, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, 
yes, I, I get it. Texas does the same thing, but how's that worked out for Texas lately? Like, th- like that's been my point is Texas is a school that everyone talks about, right? Like the Vince Youngs and all these others and, and the Mac Browns of the world, but they haven't been good since what Colt McCoy, like that's yeah. 20, 2011, 2012, 2010. Hell, I, I don't know. Like that's the last time we've seen you Texas worth, worth a darn. And like the, the point is like, you can't win if you lose two games a year. If his first two season, next season, and the season after, he loses two games, he's gone. Like I hope he understands that. Like, yes, you have more access to these better players, but your standards are a lot more higher than they were at Notre Dame. The problem is, I don't know if you see the buyout. Um, he's immediately due. If he was fired today, he's due eighty-five percent of his total salary that's left. So he's getting paid $85 million minimum. If oh, they fire don't care. Him. They won't win. They'll, they'll pay $85 million for the listen, game out of town. I, listen, I promise you, I don't care how rich they are, $85 million hurts anybody's pocketbook. <laughs> yeah. And, guess, and, get, and I, what, what I mean is, Brian Kelly, listen, I'll trade places with you right now. Listen, I'll go 0-12 this year at LSU, and I'll take my <laughs> $85 million and ride off into the sunset and never be Heck allowed yeah. in that urge again. Yeah. I'll take it. And, you know, for me, man, you look at what he did at Notre Dame, and it's not even just what he did at Notre Dame. I think if you go further back, you can see what he's done everywhere he's been, even going to the D2 level yeah. in the 80s and 90s with Grand Valley State. He turned that program into something like a powerhouse at the D2 level, six conference championships, two D2 national titles, and won the D2 Coach of the Year twice as well. Then he goes to Central Michigan, takes a 4-7 and seven team to a MAC championship in two years. Then leaves there, goes to Cincinnati where he goes 34 and six, wins two Big East, Big East titles, wins the Home Depot Coach of the Year, three Big East Coach of the Years, leads Cincinnati to the Orange and Sugar Bowl in back to back years, and they finish top four in the AP poll in 2009. Like that is, yeah. that is some serious production and rebuilding. And I think when you look, as his career, his rebuilds have gotten smaller and smaller. He had to rebuild Fort Valley State. I mean, dude, I can probably go pick 11 people off the street and we might be able to compete with Fort Valley State. Just maybe, <laughs> depending on if I pick good. And then he moves up. Central Michigan, 4-7, and seven, atrocious, gets to rebuild them. Cincinnati was a little less. Notre Dame was, was in a bad time, but it's Notre Dame. It's easy to rebuild. Now he takes over an LSU team. Two years removed from a national title. This is his best chance to get off to a hot start. To And he also, this is his first time recruiting in the South, too. That's a very strong distinction, too. Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Central Michigan, Fort Valley State, not necessarily recruiting hotbeds locally. So this yeah. is the first time he has his own local hotbed. The number one thing is, and I said this, there is the number one key to success for any LSU head coach. Man, I don't care if they hire you, me, my brother, it doesn't matter. You have to build a wall around LSU or in a, just around the state of Louisiana. If you don't get the kids out of Baton Rouge, you don't get the kids out of Lafayette, you don't get the kids out of New Orleans, you aren't going to win and you aren't going to make it. Yeah. And, and, I, and if Nick Saban comes in there and gets the Devontae Smiths and he takes these players to his program and beats you with them, that that's a problem. And so that's going to be the thing. I don't know. He's he, he's recruited well at Notre Dame. But I don't think he's faced, like you said, the pressure of having, you know, they're independent. They fight maybe Ohio State for, I mean, they fight nationally for recruits, but at LSU is different. And you know this. Yeah. Being there every year, 
Notre Dame is the number one independent class in the country every year. And I don't care. They did have no head coach and they're the number one independent class because there's no competition. Every year, I mean, Auburn had a had the number 10 class in the country two years ago and was like six in the SEC. <laughs> like put that in for like you can be recruiting at a top 10 level, which is elite. I'll say that's an elite level recruiting, and you weren't even top half in your conference. Yeah. And or in and you might be fourth in your division in recruiting, and you might be 10th in the country because Ole Miss is going to have a top 10 class under Wayne Kiffin. Nick Saban's having a top two class, top three class. Kirby Smart's having a top three class. AM and Jimbo Fisher have had consistent top six classes. Florida's always going to be able to recruit. Auburn's always a borderline top 10 school. And then you've got Arkansas in like the damn top 15 last year recruiting <laughs> in Arkansas. So like, I don't think he's seen the type of pressure he's going to face where Man, his top-rated class in the history of his career at Notre Dame was this year, right before he left. It was number four in the country. That would rank like third of the SEC right now. Yeah. Here's the thing. Again, I can only – I kind of only speak to things that I know, right? Like, I I, I don't talk baseball because that's how you get roasted. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's how you get killed when you talk about something you don't know. I don't talk about basketball because if I brought – Stephen or Mo on here, and I tried to debate basketball. I'm going to be torn apart limb for limb. So, like, I try not to talk about a whole lot of things that I don't know. One thing I do know is Indiana and how sports here in Indiana work. And I remember when Archie Miller got fired here at Indiana. The big thing that he got fired when he was the head basketball coach here at Indiana was he was not recruiting the Indiana players the way that they wanted. So they thought about bringing in guys like Steve Alford. Uh, Mike Woodson, who played at Indiana, other who eventually now is the head coach at Indiana, and like how important that is. And I bring up Indiana because Indiana is one of those schools, right? That like in college basketball, they're they're up there. Like they are like USC in in football. They are like Notre Dame, Texas, Bama. Like they are one of those schools in college basketball. So when you look at it, it's like that's a guy that you know, you you got to be able to recruit in your state when when that's what your state's known for, like Indiana is known, prides himself on basketball. Like we're the Hoosier state. We're known for basketball, cornfield, limestone and basketball. That's what Indiana is known for. And so like, if you can't recruit in the state of Indiana, bring in some of these big recruits to win, like all these other coaches have before you at IU, you're going to be fired. I, I, according to what you're saying, it's the same thing at LSU. If you can't bring in these guys at LSU to help LSU win and you don't win while you're doing it. And Nick Saban across the, across the road, there is kicking your tail in every week with recruits in your city. You're going to not last long as the head coach of LSU. And I mean, I, I want to put this in perspective too. I mean, so where do you like where would you rank LSU in terms of like national ranking right now as a team this year if you had to put them like in your like top 130 poll where like around where would you put them I would have to like sit down and think but like off the top of my head I would say around 30 35 so five spots out of the top 25 they finished last in the SEC West this year yeah like I, I don't think people like, listen, and I, I know Mo and some people will scream SEC bias, but the fact that LSU is the worst team in the SEC West this year should put everything in perspective. That team is so talented. I mean, really and truly, I mean, if, if, if they would have 
you know, they did stay healthy. Derek Stingley was banged up. Eli Ricks was banged up. And they had a lot of issues. Kayshawn Boutte transferred mid-year. Coach, oh, they had a lot of external factors that contributed to that. But if I gave you that Coach roster Coach right his now, girlfriends. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were, the girlfriends were practicing more than the players. That's the whole thing. But <laughs> um, if I gave you that roster at preseason and said, I need you to give me a prediction on like where they would finish, no way you would say they would finish last in the SEC. You'd probably say like 15th in the country. You'd probably something like that. Five but, stars, athletes. I mean, and yeah. the number one thing that I think will help Brian Kelly as he tries to build that pipeline is. With, at Notre Dame, you have to be a national recruiter. You cannot just recruit locally in Indiana for football. I'm sorry, you just yeah, can't. There might can't. be one or two prospects. Like next year, Drake Bowen is the number one uh, linebacker in the country or the number two linebacker in the country. He's from Indiana. Shocking. I don't know how that happened. Once-in-a-lifetime prospect coming out of Indiana. But when you look at the top recruits in Notre Dame's class, South Carolina, California, Michigan, Washington, Ohio, Missouri, Texas, he can recruit everywhere. That's going to help him out because he can supplement, you know, as he's trying to learn the Louisiana landscape with some of the top athletes from around the country. But when you get to year two, man, you can't let the number one and two recruits in your state walk out. And because LSU is in a unique situation and no one talks about it outside of like SEC people. When you look at a Florida they have to compete with UCF, Miami, Florida, I mean, Florida State, South Florida, you know, even Florida AM at the FCS level gets some big time players in the transfer portal. They have you so say much FAU confidence. as well. Yeah, FA, FAU too. I mean, there's so many schools in the state of Florida, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Ole Miss have to fight. Miami of Ohio because people get confused and think they're Miami. <laughs> so, you know, even Miami of Ohio, not even a Florida school, exactly. they're competing with. <laughs> and I mean, you look at all these top states. I mean, Tennessee, there's a bunch of good teams. Alabama, torn apart by Alabama and Auburn, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia. I mean, you have so many teams. Name a team that LSU's got to compete in state with for recruits. Uh, Louisiana Tech. Oh, yeah. Shock. And and now that Louisiana <laughs> Lafayette lost Billy Napier, I don't think they're going to be much competition nah. by LSU on those. Isn't teams. Louisiana pretty good, though, or whatever? Didn't. Uh, yeah, I mean they're good. They're good now. The raging Cajuns or whatever. Yeah, the raging Cajuns. But now Billy Napier is gone. We'll see how they rebound. But for me, LSU should never not land the number one recruit in their state ever. I, I there's there should be there should be no competition. I mean, there is nobody in your state that should out recruit you at all. I mean, if and listen, I know Bama comes in and steals one or two. The number one and number two prospect should be locks every year. I should be able to come on my show and say. But as soon as they're named, those two guys are committed to LSU. That's how strong you need to be in the state of Louisiana. And they have such a unique situation because off the top of your head, you can't even think of another state right now where nobody has any competition in their state like that. I I do want to ask you this. I I don't think it will hurt Lincoln Riley as much as it will uh, Brian Kelly. But I do want to ask you your thoughts real quick. uh, Then we'll move on to you know, some of the other coaches and some of the other topics we wanted to talk about. But do you think how, you know, the whole two, meet meet you at 7 a.m., the text message, the whole two-minute meeting thing, do you think that's going to hurt him as far as recruiting and players being like, yeah, I want to go play for Brian Kelly or I could go play for somebody else? Like, how do you think that's going to benefit Brian Ke- or hurt Brian Kelly, shall I say, with everything that's been going on and how this whole Notre Dame situation was handled? Um, man, it could go, it could go multiple ways. But for me, 
I feel like he can sell it if he's smart. I mean, I don't know Brian Kelly, but like I'm, I'm a as a kid, I was a very good liar. Like I lied a lot. I lied when I wasn't supposed to as a kid. I got a lot of trouble as a kid for that. So like if I'm a liar, I would say, listen, it's not my fault. College football keeps moving up the early signing period. They keep doing this. They keep they they keep scholarships are limited. I got to come to LSU, make sure y'all win a national championship. And I would swing it as I'm loyal to you guys. As soon as I was hired, you guys became my number one priority. I want to win you a national championship. I want to recruit the best players to help you win next year. Y'all were dead last in the SEC West. The quicker I got here, the quicker I turned you into winners. That's what I would say. Now, is that true? But, definitely not. It's definitely not, but you got to sell I'm it. I'm going to counter-argue. I, I was going to counter-argue, but I I think that uh, I think you make a good point. I think I think he could sell it. Let's move on to Napier. I, I think we've talked about Marcus Freeman pretty well, and we think that we both think that Marcus Freeman's the guy. Like, we'll, we'll go ahead. We'll talk about Marcus Freeman. In in your thoughts, I, I know you have sources and people that you talk to. Uh, I don't know if you've talked to your Notre Dame source or if you have a Notre Dame source, but um, was there any other thought? other than Marcus Freeman or even Tommy Reese? No. Um, so what happened, you know, I, I actually, like, I recorded my episode last night right after I got off the phone with my guy up in Notre Dame, and, and it pretty much was as soon as Brian Kelly left, the top boosters in that program and every assistant coach on that staff went to the AD and said, if you, if you don't hire Marcus Freeman, we're out. The recruits I was going to say, because Notre Dame, I – Again, this is just a report. I don't know how true it is. You you could probably back this up better than I could because you actually have sources. Reports are, I, I believe it was like $100,000, maybe $200,000 less is what Tommy Reese took to stay at Notre Dame. And he could have joined, you know, uh, Brian Kelly over at LSU. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, the recruits started the hashtag Freeman era on Twitter. The recruits and current players started that hashtag on Twitter the night Brian Kelly was fired. And I just want to say, I mean, what, like for me, you know, Pete Sampson of The Athletic came out last night and said that Reese went to the AD and was the number one supporter for Freeman. He started the movement. And when you look, John McNulty, the tight end coach, Lance Taylor, the running back coach, Mike Elston, the D-line coach, they retained almost the entire staff by hiring Freeman, what does that show about how much he's proved in only nine months on the job? Because he he just came from Cincinnati. How much respect does a 35-year-old head coach who has never been a head coach, what has he done in that building that every other assistant coach said, I'd rather play for you than the winningest coach of all time of our program? Let me, let me ask you this. I <laughs> Michigan loses, uh, Bama loses. Notre Dame's in. What the hell happens if okay, Marcus so, Freeman wins a national championship here at Notre? Like you talk about damaging a reputation, like like I Brian Kelly may not, may never like there may be a permanent ban in the state of Indiana and in the city or in the t- city of South Bend on Brian Kelly. Like what happens if Marcus Freeman wins a national championship? Like this, they're it's going to implode. So the actual argument behind closed doors from my guy said that the reason they hired Marcus Freeman is they think he can win a national title if they get to the playoffs. They, they believe that'd that. That'd be crazy. Like, I mean, like, and, and listen, I mean, if you're going to hire a head coach with no head coaching experience at 35 and you already saw how the staff responded to the players, I don't blame them for having the confidence. 
if if your players believe that much in him and you're the and you're the AD, why wouldn't like he hasn't yeah. given you any reason not to believe him? And also the number one thing that's the X factor, man, is you know, yes, this is the same Tommy Reese office coordinator, same of his defense, but how much of a wrinkle is that in game planning with a yeah. whole new head coach that has never been a head coach before? And what adjustments is he going to be able to make? Because And also, we saw this with Bama when, when they, you know, didn't go to the SEC championship and came in. What if Georgia gets banged up in the SEC championship? What if Cincinnati gets banged up against Houston or Oklahoma State gets banged up and Notre Dame slips in there fully healthy? They get an extra week of rest, an extra week to scout everybody. Man, that's a dangerous health. That's a dangerous team. It's a team with well rested and well motivated. And also, I think you could tell with, with, with the players buying in more to Marcus Freeman, how much harder are they going to play? Things like that. I mean, really and truly, like when they hired Marcus Freeman and they named him the favorite, it was because they think he can go win a national championship. And he gets in. And listen, if you hire him at Notre Dame, the, the idea is that he's a national championship head coach. Notre Dame doesn't hire anybody that they don't think can compete for national titles. So if you're going to take a chance on him, the belief has to be there. And, man, listen, I mean, when you look at what he's done recruiting-wise at Notre Dame in only a year and in terms of player development and, play, and, and defensive improvement, man, I, I listen, I probably believe in Marcus Freeman more than Marcus Freeman believes in himself. I, I was <laughs> ecstatic when they announced this hire because, I mean, for me, I thought he was one of the top assistants in the country, and it's been a long time coming for him. And, listen, that's the only reason I pray Notre Dame gets in because – I think there will be no better feel-good story. I mean, Kirby Smart finally getting the monkey off his back, getting over Saban, winning a national title, Georgia winning their first one since 1980 would be a great story. Don't get me wrong. As a college football guy, that'd be great. Also, Luke Fickle and Cincinnati winning. I mean, that would rock the foundation of college football for group of five team one. But what happens, man, let's say this. Like, let me give and you, you could this say, And you could say you told me so. Uh, well, no, nah, but that's a whole other episode. We'll, we'll save that. I don't want to get too confident right now. But what about this storyline, man? Let's say Notre Dame gets in. Let's say Michigan gets upset, Bama loses. They're the three seed. Marcus Freeman versus Luke Fickle, his old team, in the first round of the playoffs. What, what a crazy, what a and crazy wins. situation. And then goes and wins the Nationals. I mean, but that's this kind of stuff where, like, you would have non-college football fans saying it's rigged because it would be too good to be – way too good to be true. And then – Listen, they're, they're, they're supposed to announce the contract sometime by the end of the week. If I'm Marcus Freeman, I'm saying, hold the contract. If we get in, I, I need a blank check. If I win a <laughs> single game in the playoffs. If I do what Brian Kelly was never able to do in my first ever game as a head coach, I mean, that's unprecedented, and they should give him whatever amount of money he would want if he even wins a single playoff game this year. I, I agree. I agree. Okay. Now. You're probably going to tell me how I'm wrong because you're you're a college football guy and you're going to know this better than me. But when Florida hired Napier as the head coach, like to me, to me as a recruit, and I I know I said with with Chris Peterson, you know, it, it's not about being able to write home to mom and all that stuff. I, I say that as like a this is nothing to like ooh about, but like Napier to me, like if I'm a recruit and it's like go play for a guy who coached at Louisiana who didn't play great competition, never really coached in the SEC, or I could go play for Auburn. Guess – well, not guess when I was on. He doesn't coach there anymore. But, like, I could go coach – I could go play for Auburn or, or you know, Georgia 
I go like I don't know. Am I wrong in in, in Napier? Because like I look at it and I say like congrats, kid, but like this ain't this ain't the double A anymore. You're in the big leagues. Uh yeah, you're wrong because especially on the SEC comment. I mean, in the Southern comment, I mean, he was on Dabo Sweeney's staff at Clemson. And it was there before Dabo. Actually, he was a grad assistant in 03 to 04, was the tight end okay. coaching from 06 to 08. Coat was the QB coach at South Carolina in the SEC. Also was the offensive coordinator in 2029 and uh, 2010 for Clemson. Alabama analyst in 2011. And was the wide receiving coach from Alabama from 2013 to 2016. And um, I, let me just win you over real quick. Let, let me just list a few names and you tell me if you're impressed or not because – Napier was the lead recruiter. Five-star Robert Foster in the NFL right now. Five-star Calvin Ridley in the NFL right now. Athlete Trevon Diggs when he was a wide receiver as a four-star. Five-star Jerry Judy, number 21 overall player in the country. Four-star Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner, first-round pick. Not as great of a pick now. He was talented. Henry Ruggs, four-star Napier recruited and Tyrell Shavers, four star who just who just transferred down to Mississippi State and has had an outstanding season for Mike Leach. Are, are, are we changing like the tune just a little bit about like the SEC recruiting experience? Like, I yes. mean, this guy is a bit. high level. Like, listen, it's hard to recruit at Louisiana Lafayette. I get it. And like, you're not going to land five stars at Louisiana Lafayette. When he came into Louisiana Lafayette, Stu, they had the ninth ranked recruiting class in the Sun Belt. That's atrocious. Well, that's that's not even the thing. Like it, it's not about the rec- recruiting class because, like, it, for instance, like with Luke Fickle, like I can't expect Luke Fickle to bring in, you know, the number one quarterback recruit in the country at Cincinnati. I mean, he may now, but like to say, yeah, well, he's after, never had, after what he did with Ritter. Like, it may I know. Not at least to to say that. Well, he's never had a number one recruit in the. He, he's at Cincinnati. Come on, what do we expect? Like, I get that, but like, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to insult coaches at the lower level, but like you're not playing Billy Joe of Blue Mountain State anymore. Like you're playing like, come on, you're playing Nick Saban, the greatest college football coach of all time. You're playing Mike Leach, who's invented an entire way of how we play offense. Jimbo Fisher, who's won a national championship. I mean, you look Brian Kelly now, like you look at some of these other guys that he's coaching against. And I'm not saying Napier can't be a great coach, but it's just like, you look at some of the other people he's going up against, and it's like, I, I mean, you're not Kansas anymore, Pony Boy. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, can, can you tell me, uh, like, so this was the, Napier's first ever head coaching job was losing a Lafayette. Can you tell me where Nick Saban coached his first job as a head coach? I believe it's uh, Central Michigan. Kent no. State? That what? That, that impressed you? It did not, but he eventually went on to Michigan State <laughs> Listen, where he won man, the national. Like every, everyone has to start somewhere. And like and like we talked about earlier, the idea of hiring younger and younger up-and-coming prospects is, is a is a trend. And so to do that, you got to take some risk on some guys who might not have coached at a P5 level. Cause like the thing is, you aren't always gonna be able to land. I mean, because let me let me just we'll do a little experiment. So like how picky are you? And like, so let's say you're looking, you know, you're dating and you want, you're like, okay, I want a girlfriend. I wanted to be blonde. Okay. That shrinks your pool a little bit. I wanted to be over six foot. 
okay, well, that shrinks that shrinks your pool a lot. I also wanted, I also wanted, you know, to, to make 250 K a year. Well, that's going to shrink it even more. I wanted to drive a BMW. It's like shrink, like the more specific you get, I want a SEC head coach experience that has been an assistant at this level. That has I'm, not been even, a head coach. I'm not even saying SEC head coaching experience, but like, I, I think, and I'm not saying it was a bad hire. Again, I was like, I was asking a question because like, I didn't know Napier. I, I didn't know anything about him. To me, it was kind of like a, a, you know, out of third base higher for me. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about him. So that's why I was kind of asking. But, like, I look at, like, this is Florida. Like, like people talk about name recognition, right? And they, they want to bring it up at Notre Dame. They want to bring it up with USC. They want to bring it up at Tech. Like, Florida. We're talking about Tim Tebow, the greatest college quarterback of all time. We're talking about Percy Harvin. We're talking about all these other guys. And it's like, this is Florida University. Like, the Gators – and you're telling me you couldn't have landed. I'm not saying you should have went and got Brian Kelly, but you couldn't have landed a Brian Kelly. Like you couldn't have went and got a Brian Kelly or, or you couldn't have went and got a, a, a this guy or that guy. I'm not saying Napier isn't the guy because like, obviously you got to start somewhere and coaches do different things. And, you know, he, I'm, he could win at Florida, but for me, it was just weird because it was like, <sighs> when you're at that level, right? Like you need to swing the big stick. And I felt like it was a, a, a conservative hire. I felt like more than a, like swinging the big stick, let's take a, a leap. Or I, I guess they did take a leap, but for me, it was like, let's, it didn't feel like a win now thing. It felt more like a, let's hopefully build for the future and hope this works out type of thing for me. That's, that's how it felt at first. That's why I, I wanted to ask you about it and kind of, you know, have you explain and, it? Yeah. And like, I mean, it's, it's really hit or miss at that level. Cause I mean, you can use the example, they went and got a group of five coaches doing what Napier was doing, taking teams to, you know, potential new year's six bowls winning out. And his name was urban Meyer and he was doing that at Utah. Yeah. And they took a chance and it paid off. But then also you have the Jim McElwain hires who was winning at like a central Michigan, they brought him in and it didn't really work out. But the problem with the SEC, and this is a trend that I'm glad that it's happening because I think what happens too much in the SEC is, you know, we criticize a lot of conferences for retreads. Yeah. We, 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 yeah. we criticize everybody, but the one conference that consistently gets away with it is the SEC. We never are critical because man, well, when they're hired, they got all this SEC talent and they did this and they, they were assistant here. It's like, yeah, but why is Will Muschamp getting another job? Why, you know, why is this coach getting his like 17th opportunity? And I feel like the SEC secretly gets, gets retreads all the time and they just kind of get away with it. Yeah. But when you look at the teams that haven't hired retreads, that's when they've been most successful. Bama going to get saving from the Dolphins. You look at, you know, when Jimbo Fisher first came in for AM, getting him from Florida State, he's been extremely successful. You look at an Urban Meyer from Utah. Florida went on a man, I don't remember. You say I was young, but I remember the news cycle. So I don't know if I don't know if you remember Florida got killed for hiring Urban Meyer because they were the first school in the SEC to ever go out and hire a coach like that. And everyone was like, he's going to get eaten alive. He doesn't know what it's like to be in a because at that time the SEC was dominant and they were like, you, I mean, he's going to get chance, killed. But... Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and they're like, he can't do what he did at Utah there. And then he comes down, lands Tim Tebow, takes Chris Leak to a national championship, recruits Cam Newton. That unfortunately didn't work out. And yeah. it, it worked out. But what do you mean, for unfortunately? Me, you're an Auburn fan. You're glad it didn't work out. 
Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that didn't work out. Listen, it was the best <laughs> $250,000 we ever spent, man. Listen, that's why. I, listen, I hope my tuition was well spent on that. But um, no, and I mean, it's always hit or miss. But the thing is, nowadays, when coaching hires, what, on average, two and a half years, maybe three would be the national average of how long a new head yeah, coach lasts in college football. And that might be a, a generous, you know, like a leeway there. But for me, Florida, they went with the reach. They went with like the SEC retread with the Dan Mullen, who was fairly successful at Mississippi State, but really only had one good year behind Dak Prescott senior year. That was really it. Other than that, they were middle of the road SEC West team. Yes, it was Mississippi State, but he wasn't overly successful. They went with the retread. It didn't work out. You know, they went with the retread with Will Muschamp, did not work out. They tried to go the Charlie Strong route, definitely didn't work out in Florida. And so for me, they went out on a limb and they said, okay, listen, we got the hottest group of five, you know, coaching prospect over the past three seasons. I mean, Billy Napier turned down Auburn. Billy Napier turned down LSU. Billy Napier turned down South Carolina. Billy Napier turned down Arkansas. Billy Napier turned down Tennessee. But Florida somehow convinced them to come so for me i think it has to be a win until proven otherwise because if you look at power five head coaches at that time who were they going to hire yeah all the top ones were going somewhere else so you got the number one group of five you know coaching hire outside of maybe luke fickle that's the only one you could probably argue that's right there. that's the thing that's that's what i'm saying is like why didn't and maybe they did maybe fickle said um, no the, but like the, why the number, didn't, why didn't they take a swing at fickle like well it, it was the Southern connection. So oh. they wanted a coach that recruited the SEC. And when gotcha. you look at when you look at the recruiting history of Napier in the South, Luke Fickle did not did not even compare because Luke Fickle's whole career has been in that in Midwest Central. area. Yeah. yeah, in like Ohio, Michigan area, Indiana area. And when you look at the type of success that Napier had when he had the resources, because I mean it's easy to say, okay, Louisiana Lafayette, man, is you're not playing with the big dogs. Well, let's let's take let's take his career in a snapshot. When he was playing with the big dogs, was he winning? And he was one of the best recruiters of the year. Every year he was at Alabama. So now Florida's thinking if we put the resources behind him, if we give him the recruiting budget, he can replicate what he did at Alabama because then he'll be on an even playing field than what he was then. Because what the recruiting budget at Louisiana Lafayette may be four hundred thousand at, yeah. at most. I mean, and now you're talking about a recruiting budget that's probably nearing two million dollars a year at florida and also how much how much easier is it to go walk into a recruit's house with the jordan logo on one side with the gator logo on the other and say i want you to come play for florida and you've got a ninety-five thousand person stadium the swamp it's a leg it's a historic stadium you got yep. steve spurrier on the sidelines way easier to sell a kid on that dream than it is to come play in the woods and the swamp and Lafayette, Louisiana, where I don't know if you've been to Lafayette, Louisiana, Stu, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's not, it's just not on my bucket list anytime. And I've been there. I promise if you haven't been, you're not missing out. So I think, I think Billy Napier, man, I understand that, you know, if you're not tied into like the history of his coaching tree, that it could, it, it's not the splash iron. That's what I said earlier with Oklahoma with Dan Lanning. There's going to be a lot of Oklahoma fans who are looking just like you and saying, that's, that's who we're going to, that's who's going to replace Lincoln Riley. Like we hired him to be the leader of the O to the OU, the Oklahoma brand. And I feel like the name recognition is because they they aren't tuned into the history of his career. And then once they research Dan Landing, they'll be a little bit happier about it. I, I had some other things I wanted to talk about, but you know, we're coming up on an hour and a half. So I wanted to ask you, 
I, which is fine. I'm perfectly fine. We had a pack show. I'm okay with that. But I wanted to ask you something I've always kind of wondered and uh, something that like I've always kind of played with in my head. I've always wondered how other people would think. If if you were ever lucky enough to get in a situation where you were being recruited, you, you know, you're a five-star athlete, you could pretty much go wherever you want to go. Do you go, you personally, because I'll tell you what I would do, but you personally, do you go to a school like a, a Florida, an Alabama, a, a Georgia where, like, you're just another guy, where, like, they have Tim Tebow, they have, you know, um, I can't think of who their quarterback was in, like, the 90s that was there before him. Warrior. Yeah, they have Chris Leak, and then, you know, Bama has Tua Tagovailoa, there's Derrick Henry, there's all these other guys, and Georgia has, you know, Jake Fromm, and you're, you're just another name or do you go to a school where like, I'm not saying you go to a, a, a school by any means that's, I'm not saying you go to like Minnesota or you go to like Purdue, but like, do you go to, go to a school where you can kind of be the guy where they build a statue of you outside the stadium instead of you walking in and seeing Tim Tebow's statue every day? Um, okay. So I'll give you the biased answer and then I'll kind of give you like the answer if I wasn't who I am today because you see the jerseys behind me. Yeah. Like I grew up playing in the Auburn. Like, listen, I, I Auburn Auburn could say, listen, like we're out of scholarships this year. I want you to come here, but you'll be like hundreds of thousands in depth, but you'll be the starting quarterback. I would <laughs> that, That's fine with me, bro. Like I'll be yeah, like, I'll sell that. my soul. I'll sell my soul to whoever needs it to go be the Auburn quarterback. But if I was just an unbiased recruit and I didn't, you know, grow up a you know a diehard Auburn fan, um, for me, like, and I, I'm extremely competitive, and like I think you could tell in the chat, like, if I have an opinion, like me and you will go back and forth yeah. all day. I mean, like we've had arguments and not arguments, like debates in the chat that last like 13 hours on like a Wednesday, like <laughs> of stuff to do. But like I'm so competitive and like. You know, anybody who knows me will tell you that. I mean, I don't I think, care. I think also part of it is we're probably both stubborn and we're both like really oh, yeah, for sure. adamant about for our sure. being right. So like we try to prove it and then we're, I eventually give up and I'm like, screw it. Can't change. <laughs> can't change his opinion. And he's probably smarter than me at this situation. So I'm just uh, no, man. Shut up. definitely but, not that. But I, but I mean, like, I don't care. Like, like it's like the Michael Jordan document. Like, I don't care for just throwing quarters at a wall. Like, I want to win. Like, I want to be the best so for me I probably would have picked a big school just because if I was a five-star recruit like let's say I'm like a Travis Hunter number one recruit in the country I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to bet on myself to say like yeah that statue is great but I want to be like it's great if you're the only statue on campus like if you go to like a central Michigan and you're like a legendary player and you do enough and you get a statue like that's great you're the only statue but for me it would mean more to me to have my statue next to Tim Tebow Steve Spurrier and these guys are like, if I went to Auburn, I'd be next to Cam Newton, Bo Jackson, Pat Sullivan. That would mean more to me to be in that echelon of player at that caliber of player at that level of football than it would mean to me to be my, to be the only statue at South Alabama. Like yeah. for me, like if I was, if I was good enough to be the greatest of the great, that would, that, that would motivate me more than being just great on a weaker playing field. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm with you. I honestly, I, I would go probably wherever I could get a chip. I'm going to be honest with you. But <laughs> this is kind of the thought process I've always had has been like, for instance, if I was the number one quarterback in the country, 
my coach is going to be able to get the number one receiver in the country because they're going to want to go play with the number one quarterback. Maybe not in this class, but next class, definitely. You're going to get a top three, top four running back in the country. And then the offense is looking good. Maybe you're going to get a top 10 defensive play. Like, I think we're talent, especially with how we are today. Like, it may have been harder in the 90s where, like, you didn't really – everybody's going to the same camps. Everybody's seeing each other. They're texting each other. They're seeing each other all the time on social media. Like, I think it's easier now to connect and to build something that, like, a, I, I'm going to use this as a school, but I'm not saying – this would be a place I would go, but it would be easier. I feel like if you were a five-star recruit and you brought the number three receiver in the country with you, the number four receiver or running back in the country with you, the 10th ranked, a top 10 defensive end in the country. And then you could build on that next year and the year after and the year after to, to do that, you know, you would be like the guy at a school like Indiana, right? Like, like there would be no other player especially if you were able to get them to fourth in the country or you got them where since like Desmond Ritter, for instance, like Desmond Ritter forever, no matter what happens from this point on in Desmond Ritter's life, Cincinnati is his permanent home. Like he will, he will go, he could go back to Cincinnati and they would elect him mayor and he could probably commit murder and they'd still elect him mayor because of what he's done for Cincinnati. Like that for me has always kind of been the thing that like, you know, it'd be cool to like be the guy and build your own stepping stone, but I'm with you. Like I pro- to be honest with you, I probably just go wherever I get a chip, dude. I, I just want to win. You're like you pulled the whole Bama thing, but like I need a I need a Dodge Charger in my garage tomorrow if you want me to come here. <laughs> no, no kidding. No kidding. Well, Zach, <laughs> it was great to have you on. Uh plug your social media, plug where they can find your podcast real quick and and uh yeah, just thanks for coming on and well, I'll have oh, you man. back on. I'll have you probably back on after we find out who the, the four Selection teams Sunday. are. For, and then I'll probably definitely have you back on after New Year's, after we figure out who the top two are. So we can we can talk about that. So go ahead oh, and plug Don't your... let it be Cincinnati. Don't let don't <laughs> I will come on this show like painted red and black on my face, like the the, the stripes, everything. Like we're, we're, we're I'm gonna wear a Cincinnati mask the whole episode for you, man. If that I, happens, may, I, may not gonna... text you, I may not text you and invite you on if Cincinnati wins. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If they but, win the uh, natty, man, I, I'm writing you on my show. You're gonna have to build live on YouTube with me, and you're gonna have to be wearing a Ritter jersey, everything <laughs> like that. Oh you're, man, but you're listen, good. But go ahead and plug your uh, your show and your social <laughs> medias. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it's at the underscore blue bloods on pretty much everything. You can just search up the blue bloods on YouTube, or it's I believe it's youtube.com backscore C backscore the blue bloods um on YouTube, man. Daily football content. I think we got like five episodes dropping tomorrow, man. It's been such a crazy week with coaches, searches, conference championships. So tune in, man, subscribe, uh, you know, hit us up on social media, man. And we got uh, player interviews coming up next week. Uh, got some guys from Youngtown State coming on to talk about their season. Got D. Anderson, former LSU player from uh, now playing Alabama A&M coming on Monday as well. So got some big things in the works. But, uh, yeah, you can find us there. And uh, also definitely make sure to check out this episode and subscribe to The Morning Brew with, with Stu as well. Yes, definitely. Please do so. Again, I can only do so much on social media. I can only share it. I can only post it so much. It's you guys who listen that I believe help the podcast grow so like i say all the time spam it if somebody you know likes you know sports talk or 
or podcasts, like spam it in their DMs and then go to their text messages, spam it in there. Then go to another social media site, spam it in those DMs. Just keep going to help this show grow. Do that to about five or six people and they'll probably block you eventually, but hey, the, <laughs> the word will get out. But real, uh, real, fr- real friends won't block you. That, that, that's that's, that's you're the right. motto. You're right. Uh, but again, thanks for listening. Have a good day, good night, good afternoon, whatever it is. You have a good one. I'll see you next time.